I did a tipsy tweet because they were looking for people that actually government, were looking for ideas in the community to contribute to the official program for the centenary of Canberra. And I said, oh, well, no, I'll make the official martini for Canberra, says me to my, you know, 50 followers on Twitter at the time. But one of those was the ST government, who then retweeted to like 50,000 people and went, that's great, Philip, we can't wait to see it. I went, oh, heck, I've got to do it now. <laughs> so one thing led to another, and uh, the next thing you know, I created the cocktail recipes. We had a, an official launch with the Chief Minister. We had a media event. We had a black tie ball at the National Press Club. had a special glass set made by a local glass artist. It was in raffled for charity for East Timor. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, it was a huge success. Welcome to Marketing Builder, the show where you'll get lots of little bricks of marketing advice to help you build up your marketing and your business. Drawing on over 20 years of marketing experience, your host, Daniel Oyston, will dive into a topic and provide you with short, sharp and to-the-point marketing advice that you can apply to your marketing straight away. Welcome to Marketing Builder. Let's get on with the show. Hey, hey, legends, pumped to have you joining me for this episode of Marketing Builder and also Philip Jones, the Martini Whisperer. That's the voice you heard right at the start of the show. Look, people often tell you to find a job you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. And that's something that comes to mind when I think of Philip. Philip has a really interesting story in business and that's why I asked him to come on the show. One part of Philip's business ventures is Two Degrees Group, which he started in 2010. On paper, it's a fairly typical consulting business, but scratch the surface a little and there is so much really interesting stuff going on. Philip is the chair of judges for the Canberra and Capital Region Tourism Awards and a national judge for the Australian Tourism Awards. Plus, he's been invited to be a judge at the first ever New Zealand Spirits Awards and the Royal Agricultural Society of Western Australia's Distilling Awards in 2019, in addition to being engaged as a judge for a whole range of tourism, hospitality and customer service awards programs. But probably the most interesting element is Philip's alter ego, the Martini Whisperer, which sees him being commissioned for bespoke creations, hosting events such as masterclasses and a frequent guest speaker and presenter on craft gins and, of course, the Martini. In 2015, that all led to him having the honour of presenting the first ever TED Talk on the Martini. Philip's journey is a great mix of being passionate and knowledgeable about something, putting yourself out there, taking opportunities as they come, and then, like most of us in small and medium businesses, taking stock after some early success and then getting way more strategic about the direction of the business. Now, this episode is a lot longer than a normal Marketing Builder episode, but I enjoyed talking to Philip so much that I just did not care about trying to keep him to a time limit, nor did I look to edit it heavily to make it fit into a certain time. So I trust you enjoy hearing from Philip just as much as I enjoyed talking to him. And I started off by asking Philip, apart from a martini, what cocktail represents him best? Well, you've got to think about what is a cocktail and what's the radio about. And a good cocktail will hopefully, you know, make the world a better place uh, one sip at a time. And it's not about the booze, paradoxically. It's not about getting drunk. It's about... Um, something that really is something greater than the sum of its parts. So cocktails, in a way, are a bit like, they're quite a scientific method. There's a reason why the combination of flavours or the textures or the way they're built um, is really quite sophisticated. And I, I 
have immense respect for professional mixologists or professional bartenders because it's easy enough for me to say master or hope to master a martini, for example. There's only a few ingredients. We could talk long and long and long about all that. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Um, but when you've got to know your house recipes, you've got to make the ingredients quite often, you've got to then know all the repertoire of anything else, and more importantly, when you're engaging with a customer, what they're really, really doing, a really good bartender, or a really good, it's really of that place and moment and person. So they're going to ask you, so, you know, what do you enjoy? What are you used to? What's your situation? You know, what's the ambience? Particularly if they're, the person's asking for a recommendation of a cocktail? Exactly. And when I talk to uh, bartenders, so I, I judged the um, AHA Best Bartender Award uh, for ACT last year. And part of that was talking to them about how they engage with their customers, customer service, clearly. But customer service is all about the so-called reading of the customer and understanding the customer. So when they go to these really great bars or signature bars, they're not just coming for a drink. They're coming, obviously, from experience. And part of it is, well, give me something new. I'm not going to drink a Bundy and Coke. I'm going to drink at home. I'm coming here because I want something new and different. So they've really got to be able to have a really informed conversation with these sort of people. So long way around, so the cocktail, therefore, is something that's really appropriate for that time and place. And that can very vary on, you know, the mood you're in and the company you're with. And sometimes you want something nice and reflective and sometimes you want to go a bit edgy and be, get, get your own boundaries pushed. Are you not letting me paint you into a corner with an answer? <laughs> well, obviously a martini is my go-to thing. Um, and the reason for that quite obsession is the fact, uh, the epiphany was this. So it was a bar in Melbourne called Bar Americano. And it's a, it's a... I've been there. You've been the there. The tiny, really tiny place. Yeah, it's like five, six people, standing room only. It's amazing. It's amazing. And they just have one gin and one vodka and one... It's all in decanted bottles, so they don't even know what brand they are. No photos allowed. And the deal was, every time I'd go there, basically the same ingredients, I would get a completely different martini. And because the bartender at the time was just really good at just subtle variations in the ratios and temperature and things like that. So if you have that with the same ingredient, same bar, same bartender, and have almost infinite permutations, the, the, the horizons are limitless then, given we've got thousands of gins and vodkas and vermouths, etc. So um, it's a bit of a, bit of a zen quest. Phil, your main umbrella business is Two Degrees Group, which offers facilitation, consulting, and other services. But the brand that people know you by, your alter ego, is the Martini Whisperer. What came first, the Martini Whisperer or Two Degrees Group? Two Degrees Group did, and that's there's a uh, ancestor even before that. There was a company I had called Schmooze. Oh, yes, of course, I remember that. I've completely forgotten, sorry. Yeah, it's all right. So uh, very quick story was it was a very innovative business professional relations networking company. So it's kind of like lots of events and workshops and masterclasses. So you didn't feel like you were networking at all, a lot of personalized services, and it got quite big. We were had like 600 members, member organizations at one point. We had a young professional crew and a student group and one chapters in Melbourne, et cetera. Anyway, what I realized very early on in those sort of typical kind of meet new business people and say hi for what do you do? What I found was people were going, oh, Philip's a really nice guy, but I don't know what he does. And I re- that was a real important insight very on in my business career where you had to be very clear and you as a marketer would clearly get this, you know, who are you, what do you represent, what's the value that you bring? And so I learned, therefore, to develop, um, you know, good narratives in those sort of situations. The way I'd approach it would be, everyone would go, oh, are you busy? You know, everyone's always busy. Um, and I'd go, well, I'd talk about some of the work I've been doing. And, and what I would do, we'd talk about a relevant example. So I was talking to someone from a government department, I'd talk about the government work I've been doing lately, or not-for-profit sector, not-for-profit work I've been doing lately. So it became more relevant to them. 
and it also, in a conversational way, established your credentials and your business or your particular expertise. So out of that came Two Degrees Group. That was then my vehicle of putting these uh, facilitation consulting type services. And each client is a very kind of bespoke process. So that enabled me to have that umbrella uh, to then park those things under that. And occasionally I would bring collaborators in if I needed like a filmmaker or design or whatever the case may be. So that's just um, been there all this time. And then uh, we go back to 2012 now where this is a hobby and also as part of my brand persona. So I'd go to these functions and events. I'd always have a martini in my hand partly for the because I enjoyed them partly for the look. Yep. Right? <laughs> Part of my personal branding, if you like. And in 2012, 2013, when the centenary of Canberra was coming around, I put my hand up. I was a, a tipsy Friday night drink because I would have a martini on a Friday night to start the work week because you work from home and, you know, you need to... To start to... the work week. Well, no, it came out wrong. <laughs> 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 to end the work week. So you work from home. Well, I did do anyway. And if you're not careful, you work seven days a week. And so my little routine... Uh, ritual on a Friday evening uh, to start the weekend and kind of psychologically switch off was to have a martini or two. Just like when people get home from work, that's what they do? Yeah. Hi, honey, I'm home. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd sit in the veranda with the dog. and, and So um, there was a, I did a tipsy tweet because I was looking for people, they being the, the Centenary Renewal, the ACT government, looking for ideas in the community to contribute to the official program for the Centenary of Canberra. And I said, oh, well, no, I'll make the official martini for Canberra, says me to my, you know, 50 followers on Twitter at the time. But one of those was the ST government, who went and retweeted to like 50,000 people and went, that's great, Philip, we can't wait to see it. I went, oh, heck, I've got to do it. Now we're going to do it, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so one thing led to another. And um, uh, the next thing you know, I created these cocktail recipes. We had an official launch with the chief minister. We had a media event. We had a black tie ball at the National Press Club. Had a special glass set made by a local glass artist. It was in raffled for charity for East Timor. It just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, it was a huge success. And so was that the point where you thought, actually, this might have some legs? Yes, because the parallel story is that um, I wanted all Australian ingredients. So at the time, and we're talking 2012, 2013, there wasn't that many Australian gin makers and whatever. So I reached out to those who were around and um, they all came to the party. So that was great. And on the back of that, bit of uh, publicity and um, the Western Australian covered it and this was the best thing to come out of Canberra for a decade. <laughs> Hard to argue against, Phil. Yeah, yeah, because one of the gins was a Western Australian gin. Next thing I know, stuff's turning up my doorstep from distillers around Australia. Oh, well, like we did, you, could, you, could you write about this? So I had a little bit of a blog being called Canberra Martini and it just snowballed and so I haven't been the right time, right place but as this craft spirit boom took off, I was one of the few people actually writing about this stuff. And because I've got a restaurant background, a tourism hospitality background, a dozen years working around the world and fine dining restaurants. So I kind of knew what I was talking about and I could write, you know, respectfully and hopefully thoughtfully about these spirits, whether it's gin or vodka or whatever. The case and with that. knowledge. Exactly. Um, and so that evolved. So that then turned into, so I didn't start working, doing some consulting work in Melbourne for a gallery down there. So I changed the opportunity to change the brand from Cam Martini to Martini Whisperer. And, um, and that's how that started. And so I was able to have these two parallel worlds, but they do cross over so often. So for example, I was doing facilitation work for a large government department in Melbourne. And I'm walking through with the depth sec, and it's all very serious, doing a, pro a workshop on project management or something like that. And this voice in the, in the corner and this big, floor went oh my god the martini whispers in the building <laughs> and they all looked around going who, who were they talking to so, so it's me so every so often the worlds kind of cross over a bit 
So what do you find difficult about marketing your business or businesses, those brands, especially because it's alcohol focused? Yeah, it is, it is a challenge. And if we're just talking about Martini Whisperer now for the moment, it's become very interesting because you've got, I use a lot of social media. So um, there's a website of Instagram and Facebook in my primary channels. And you have to do things like drink responsibly message. So one of the things I do do periodically, for example, is make overt messages or statements around, you know, have this but drink responsibly and drink well and things like that. Obviously, there's insurance implications of some of the things that I do. So I've got an RSA and public liability when I run my events. I'm also very mindful of making a statement about how many drinks people are going to enjoy, offering a low-alcoholic drink, a no-alcoholic cocktail, if I'm running a function for somebody. All these things have to come into play from a public safety point of view or personal kind of consumption message comes through. But in terms of marketing, it's been interesting because you would still, for example, have a plus 18, uh, are you over 18 to enter web and things like that. I don't need to do that so much, but I do make sure I don't overtly encourage consumption. So the story and the narratives I'm doing, I'm presenting cocktails in attractive way or talking about personalities or the brands or who's, but I'm not going, oh, get into it and get get a whole... It's more about that thing that you spoke about at the start, the the more about the experience, the connection, that moment in time, rather than what the alcohol does to you. Exactly, exactly right. And and I've even had articles about how to drink um, in in terms of, you know, sensible consumption or hangover preventions or, <laughs> or in a sense of practical, coming back to my event, always making sure there's food and there's water and things like that. So it's all about responsible consumption. We didn't often talk about responsible consumption. You used to be able to go into websites and not nominate that you were over 18. There are things that change in the industry. What trends are happening in your industry now that are having a significant impact on your marketing or that you think will start to come that'll have an impact on your marketing? It's an interesting point because there's big trends in low, what they call low alc or no alcohol. So you've got a whole genre now of non-alcoholic gin, for example, or non-alcoholic spirits for cocktails. Some are better tastier than others. <laughs> um, but that's, there's a real opportunity there in the marketplace for people to create these. The people are making low alcoholic gins. So instead of being 40% alcohol by void, it might be 20% alcohol. But do you find that your market is... That, that resonates with your market or, or just the general market more and more or is this just something that distillers are trying and just seeing whether it takes in the market? The latter, the latter, or people who are not distillers seeing an opportunity in the market but in terms of wellness, the wellness market, for example, or people who just want the option. They want to go out and have a nice drink but it doesn't, they don't want to like lemon on bitters. They actually want a drink that looks like a drink or tastes like a drink if you follow. Because that connects with that, that moment in time, that experience, not, as I said before, what the alcohol does to you. Yeah, so it's, it's a, that bonding experience and that, that pleasure experience and, you know, the aesthetics come into it as well. But there's a couple of different markets we're talking about in a way. So there's the my event client market. So if I'm hosting an event for a, a corporate or a private client, then as I said, I'll always make sure I have those options available to people as a matter of course. Because not everyone you know, wants a martini, they want something in between. If I'm talking about spirit education, which is the other thing I, I do, whether it's about whiskey or, or whatever, they're less concerned about that. They're, that's a, you know, they're a particular target market who are coming to these events to learn about gin or learn about whiskey or learn about whatever. And so they're not so fussed about, you know, not interested necessarily in, in that particular instant locale. So you, you do have to think about messaging to your different market segments. While Marketing Builder is the name of this podcast, it's also the name of an awesome product that can help you sort through all the fluff of marketing advice out there and focus on the important stuff. 
Marketing Builder is a card-based system supplemented by online video lessons that walks you through, step-by-step, -step, the most important things in a marketing plan, such as buyer personas, pipeline analysis, objectives, strategy, goals, budgets, and the fun and sexy stuff, the marketing tactics. And there's over a hundred of them for you to consider using. The card sorting process results in a visual representation of your marketing, where you can easily see how people will engage with your marketing as they move from awareness through to a customer or client. Whether you're a small business owner trying to develop a marketing plan that you can actually use and are confident in on that very limited budget, or a seasoned marketer wanting others in your organization to have real buy-in and engagement with your marketing, then Marketing Builder is perfect for you. Visit marketingbuilder.net for more information. Now, the reason you're listening. Let's head back to the show. You had schmooze. You then Two Degrees Group and Martini Whisperer, and it was sort of an opportunity that presented itself, and you've, you've really taken it on. It's not something that a lot of businesses sit down, they write their plan, they get everything perfect, and, and then they launch. You've been doing this on the run, so to speak. Yes. What's something around marketing that you've learned along the way that you think others should know? The reason these businesses have evolved is that you can never really sit back on a Friday night with a tipsy tweet and imagine it, it would end up several years later doing what I do now. Because it's a pretty unique proposition. There's no one who does the spectrum of what I do, whether it's events or consulting or advising distillers or telling their stories, etc. But I've been a lot more strategic in the way I've presented and marketed the brand over the last couple of years because you have a it's one thing to have a passion project it's another thing to have that epiphany going well actually this is a a pretty unique potentially international brand that i can generate so the, the lessons are twofold i guess one is i guess consistency of brand and being very mindful of the tone i use and the imagery that i use but not get so caught up in the fact that it's me personally so it's a bit paradoxical because i am the martini whisperer but what that's now evolved is an events company it's an education it's a consulting distillers and things like that so being very consistent about that personal tone is very important and i can tell you listeners phil absolutely lives and breathes his brand he's he's come to the studio aka my office I'm in jeans and a t-shirt. I don't normally do my hair during the day, Phil, but I've done my hair because you, you've come to visit me. I've put socks on. <laughs> and Phil is here in nice iron chinos, a linen shirt, a jacket. He's got a pocket square on and he's got his martini lapel badge. And so I'm guessing, I knew you would turn up looking like this, but that is really you living the brand day in, day out. So that when people run into you during work hours mostly and even at events afterwards, it's a consistent look and feel for your brand because your brand isn't a logo it isn't necessarily colors it isn't a shop front it is you as a person so that's important that you live and breathe that right that's very perceptive and i appreciate the compliment and it's not a vanity exercise either i, I try to be as genuine as possible but uh you just never know who you frankly you're going to meet um and also you know if my brand's going to be anything it's better about it's really a lifestyle brand so that is very, very important to do. But there's also things I've, I've got, you know, wrong. So I've been a lot more proactive this year and, and late last year about generating business opportunities. So because you kind of didn't know where this thing was going to go and how it was going to evolve, you know, the phone would ring or you get an inquiry and oh, can you do this for us and how about that? So now I've done things like have a, vert, a lot more overt information on my site about my value offering and say the events services I can do to a Martini Whisperer 
um, talking much more about my clients so people can go, oh, you've worked with them. Oh, you've worked with them. Oh, well, okay. If you work with them, you could do something for us. It's social proof. It's social proof, exactly. And, you know, dare I say it, actually being proactive and reaching out to clients and past clients going, look, it's, it's February already. We had a great experience last year. Do you want to do something again this year? And so now I'm booked well into next year. Well, a question on the events. You obviously run a lot of events here at various bars and restaurants and, and corporate settings. You speak about spending more time trying to build the business rather than just letting the work come in and, and being reactive to it. How important is running an event in terms of not just you know delivering a service to a client then and obviously making some money out of it, but that longer-term game of continually building your profile and networking and connecting with more people and ultimately offering you future opportunities through that exposure because I'm also interested to know how many events you actually do run a year. There's a lot in that. And it comes back to the original idea about we're talking about experience before. So clients might be a shopping centre who are looking to activate a particular precinct in their wing because they want to enhance the retail experience for their shoppers. So it's not really about drinking a cocktail, it's really about, well, come along and meet the Martini Whisperer and learn how to make the Great Negroni on a Saturday afternoon in a shopping center. So I've done that. Or uh, celebrating the launch of a new beauty wing. So there's a few, you come back to trends. So experience, in, so marketing, experiential events are really, really powerful. Lifestyle, aspirational. Exactly. So I can now, I've, you know, part of my value offering is to, whether it's a, um, or even a, a cultural institution. So I did an event at the Mint last year. So it's a corn exhibition. So you think, well, what's that to do with cocktails? Well, they had the initiative to reach out to me. And so I created, they created a cocktail party in the exhibition. And I gave a talk about early stilling and because it's original currency about Australia, created special cocktails for the occasion, was the guest speaker for the thing. And it, but it was really for them, their objective, for their, they were my client, was really to entice new audiences into that space who normally wouldn't come into the Mint. So, or entice shoppers into a particular shopping mall and it's a bit of a Trojan horse effect. Yeah. So whether it's a PR agency, I might do something for and things like that. So one thing leads to another. So you're right. So it's a public visibility of me doing these things in public forums. That often leads to private events, corporate events or bespoke events where I don't advertise, but I'll, you know, in every given week I'm doing three or four or five events of different scales and so on. Not always big ones. Um, there could be a private tasting for six people, of, you know, for a ladies' night or, or whatever, or a hen's party. But they, they do that because now I've got the brand reputation, I've got the profile, and people go, oh, I came to your thing at the shopping centre. That was great. Can you do something for us for our Christmas party? Attention, attention, marketing nugget. I love this piece of advice because it touches on something I tell a lot of people. Lift above your niche. So much business advice tells us to niche down and get really focused. And that's okay to a certain extent, but it often paints us into a corner because let's say you're a, for example, a window manufacturer and that's all you do, manufacture windows. No one cares about windows except when they're looking to buy some. So all of a sudden, you remove yourself from any possible engagement apart from during the research and sales steps with your target audience. So the key here is to look for businesses that you can partner with to create content, events, or experiences, just like Phil does when he adds value to a shopping precinct activation or a lifestyle brand. And that's possible because under the Martini Whisperer alter ego, Philip niches down to craft spirits, not all alcohol, craft spirits, yet he understands that cocktails are consumed in a larger ecosystem of a lifestyle and there are many brands at play in that ecosystem of the lifestyle. So clothing, entertainment, food, cosmetics, 
vehicles, venues, and I'm sure there are lots of others. So if you find it difficult to get engagement around your brand and content on a regular basis, then consider lifting your marketing above your niche and look to partner with brands that operate in the same ecosystem that your target market is in and look to work together. You offer a service through those events, most people would look at those events, okay, he's, he's going to prep before he goes, he's going to turn up, he's going to run it, he'll meet some people and he'll leave. There might be a little bit of follow-up and stuff like that. I know that's simplifying it. But my question is, as because it is a service, do you do anything significant that truly sets you apart in the lead-up to that event rather than just somebody booking you and you turn, turn up and do your thing. Do you do anything special in the lead up event to really make it amazing and connect? Absolutely. And this is where my consulting brain kicks in. So I treat each client like a consulting project. So it'll be initiating meeting. There'll be a real, like a, de- a debriefing of kind of what they want to get from their experience. Um, so for example, there was a, a leading um, consulting company here in Canberra. They, they'd been, one of their marketing people had been to one of my public events. They said, oh, we need, we'd love you to have your Christmas party. So I met them, met their partners. They wanted something along their corporate values. Um, and I'm, I'm, one of my key things is everything I do is unique. So every event, as far as I can, is a bespoke solution for them. I don't just trot out the same drink every time. So it's a pers- nice personal challenge for me. But I will go, actually, they wanted something, they want a cocktail that kind of looked a bit like their branding colours. They wanted something somehow that aligned with their corporate values. So I had to research all that, you know, do a lot of experimenting and prototyping and, and things like that. And I was very, very happy with the, way, with the way it turned out. So every single event is treated like a bespoke solution for them, yes. As I said, you run lots of events, you come into contact with a lot of people. So I know distillers are aware of this and and they see you as an influencer but that isn't something that you've set out to be and i know that doesn't necessarily that label sit comfortably with you and you don't necessarily classify yourself as an influencer because you are fiercely independent how do you manage your standing in the industry and the community yet still take advantage of the opportunities but still maintain your independence because it's it's an important balance it's a very important balance and uh, it's a bit of a complex answer. So bear with me because they're a market of sorts. When I'm talking about the distilling industry and craft distilling, so as I said, I was on the ground floor as a advocate for it when it first got going. So now we have nearly 270 gin makers in Australia and counting and so it goes. Huge boom. At the time and how things were evolved, there wasn't many voices between, and you've got to imagine these guys are primarily rural regional Australia, small businesses in their own right, Marketing is not their thing. They probably don't have a lot of resources. They don't have a lot of resources, you know. Um, and so they really latched onto this op- social media opportunity, particularly of people to talk about their new releases and whatever. And that's perfectly understandable. So those people who were bloggers or whatever had built up a bit of a following, they were really appreciated and needed by this emerging industry. But what, what's happened, and now it's a maturing process, they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. But some of these people who comment on their products are really, frankly, not really qualified to do so. And so it's a bit like giving your brand to someone to endorse or talk about it who doesn't really understand what it's really about. So it's a two-edged sword, but they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. So there's even award programs in the distilling industry that distillers don't really respect because they don't think it's, the process is necessarily credible, the judges aren't qualified enough, but they're not going to say no to a gold medal or a bronze medal and not talk about it. So I'm actually doing a research for an article around that at the moment. So that's a maturation process within the industry as a whole. So 
in my instance, because again, I've got this tourism background and I'm a tourism award judge and a national tourism award judge, et cetera, and I've been doing this for quite a few years now, um, they talk amongst themselves. They're not silly people and they make their own decisions about, I never go out to people looking for bottles of booze to write about. I never solicit any of this. So you don't get first at my place, <laughs> guaranteed. Um, <laughs> we should have done this interview there. Yeah. If you Although, could. to be fair, it's like 10 o'clock, 10.30 on a Monday morning. Bit early even for me. So they've, they've sat back and watched, and I'm not saying this because I'm talking myself up, but, you know, I've got the respect of the industry, and they'll send me things going, look, not for review, but for prototyping, working on this new vodka, what do you th- can you tell us what you're thinking about this and things like that. So I've established that credibility for, them, for my body of work, and, and they can trust and respect me. So coming back to this notion of independence, that's really, really key. So yes, I may have missed out on some opportunities, um, business opportunities, because I don't want to be aligned. So if I work with, say, a local gin company, I will make sure I work with others or I don't work with them too often because, you know, they, there, isn't, there isn't that many people talking in an informed way, an independent way about this, this business. Were you ever tempted, because you're a, a sole trader, there's other sole traders that listen to the show or, or they're generally small and medium businesses. Some of them are still on that growth trajectory. Were there times where you hadn't built a brand like you have now and, and it, it's much more sustainable where it was growing and maybe times weren't so great and you were tempted to, maybe I should just get paid to do this one and not be independent? Yes, and I won't go into specifics, but... I was mindful. I'm a long-term play guy. Can I put it that way? So um, I thought about the opportunity cost to that because I'd spent so much time from a brand point of view, integrity point of view, saying I'm independent and non-biased. There's this closure statements when I do my reviews. If they send me some stuff, I say it's an unsolicited, you know, bottle or whatever the case may be. Um, and if to turn that around would mean all that work's undone. But at the, earlier on, you hadn't built that and done that much work on it, had you? And so there was still, it might have still been in the balance. Can this stand up by itself and be hugely successful? Because now, absolutely, you can just be independent. But maybe when the business was still growing and it's like, oh, maybe I should just take this opportunity and help grow. Yeah, I, I think my take-home for this is, and this relates back to Two Degrees Group as a, as a positioning brand, if you like, is that it's a bit of self-awareness goes a long way both as a business and you as an individual. Um, and you've really got to, and we could talk you know, about brand values and all those sort of things. And, and I'll give you another example coming another way. So LinkedIn, I'm not on LinkedIn anymore because I got tired of it, but um, I used to do workshops on LinkedIn and, um, and teach people how to use it. And part of when I'm doing career transition coaching, one of the first things I get them to do would be to redo or do their LinkedIn profile. Reason being, it kind of distills down the professional essence of how you want to present yourself to the world. Not, not rocket science there, but you remember the time we used to have those endorsements? People would endorse yes. you for various things, you know, whatever. And I'd get these endorsements for all these kind of skill sets, and I go, "Well, that's not what I want to be known for, but that's how the market sees me." And also, really, really for me, a very interesting insight. So, about who owns the brand? You know, we think we own the brand, but really, our market owns the brand. And a brand is what people perceive it to be, not necessarily what you think it is. Exactly right. So, um, coming back to what we're talking about, so my realization then was, okay, this is who I'm going to be, and this is the carving out if all these other influencers quote unquote are doing what they're going to do and go to take the money and build up you know fake followers or whatever my market opportunity in that sense um is to do the complete opposite and 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 do that and just trust that those opportunities over the long term will come my way and that happily that's the way it's transpired you've been in the media a lot 
print TV TEDx presentations. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you did the first ever TEDx presentation on martinis. First ever, yep, yes. You're a regular on local radio now. What single instance of mass media has led to a really big opportunity for you, either as a one-off engagement or a long-term relationship with somebody? I'd have to say the TEDx talk for a couple of different reasons. And I was thinking about this last night because I've been really fortunate and to be able to be invited on radio when I did a live TV across from Channel 9 in Western Australia last year and things like that. And part of it is me, again, I'm pretty lazy in that sense. I'm, I don't push myself forward. I've, I've got better at being more proactive. But the TEDx experience is a paradoxical one um, because on one hand, they want you to be completely natural. They, they choose you you know, for your passion project. So, so they came to me going, we love what you do with cocktails. You want to talk about it? So, Great. Loved it. Because they want that kind of personal passion. And yet it's a TED talk. So you're on that red dot and you can't make stuff up and you can't ad lib and you can't, you know, make up facts. And, and it's you, timed. And it's timed. And you have to practice a lot. You can tell that bit. Oh, and I must have done easy 60 times. And, wow. I'm gl- and I'm glad I did because on the day, quick story, is that I was the last speaker and there's no green room at a TED. So you're in the audience and everyone's just amazing, right? Everyone's just amazing. They've done changing the world and, you know, saving this and whatever. Just amazing, incredible people. I'm about to talk about a cocktail. <laughs> did you uh, feel that imposter syndrome people talk about in their businesses a little yeah. bit then? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, of course, you're emotionally drained by the invadino because you're just you're there and just trying to take it all in. And now, Philip Jones. And, of course, I lost my little cheap... You don't have to cheap notes anyway, so I lost those. And I couldn't remember my talk, dead set. And, and I'm on the red dot. And the monitor, you get a countdown monitor, and you've got the slide monitor. I've got to have half a dozen slides just for illustrations. And that died, right? But because I'd practiced so much, the muscle memory kicked in. So as soon as I got my... I remember my first line, my tail was a heady mix of X, Y, Z. Once I'd said that, everything else fell into place. So it didn't matter. I couldn't see my slides. I love a story with a happy ending for you. Oh, and because they had moving parts. They had a musician had to come on a stage at a certain time. They had to bring a cocktail trolley on from, you know, miles away from a certain time. Again, I'm on the clock. Um, and I'd make, you know, it all turned out fine. Thank goodness. But point of story, if you could do that, basically you can do anything. Honestly, you can get a couple of thousand people and all the rest of it. And I was not shy of telling people on my website or social media, this is what I've done. And that gives you immense street cred. But as a presenter... And it's a sheer, you know, deep confidence build that's really opened a lot of doors for me. Outstanding. You are across Facebook, Instagram. You said you weren't on LinkedIn anymore. But in 2020, you've launched a YouTube channel. Yeah, it's just a baby one. What's your thinking behind that? Why add a YouTube channel in now? And what are you thinking success will look like for that channel in maybe a year or two? What are you hoping to build it into? That's a perceptive question because um, I was thinking about my own consumption. For example, I watch an awful lot of YouTube... Cat videos? <laughs> Strangely enough, no. <laughs> um, there's an, I'm obsessed with... There's, there's a whole genre of like Tokyo bar tenders. You want quite an obsession about carving ice or making... They're just another level. So part of my own consumption, partly recognising the mass trend of that's where the viewers, where the eyeballs are at. Um, I'm very adamant that I have original content across the three channels so that I don't replicate stuff very, very rarely. So what's on Instagram is different from... Facebook, different from that, different from my website. Because um, I just think they're different audiences and they are different audiences when I look at this, the, the data. Also, my, my long-term play is I'm working on a TV series emerging out of all this work. So the working title is National Spirit and it's evolved over a couple of years and it's come out of all of this work I've been doing. And originally it was about craft distilling so, um, and cocktail culture in Australia. 
And how do you get from a bubbling spring in Tasmania to a cool inner city bar? How does that journey happen? Yeah, um, so lots of research, and I've had some serious meets with proper production companies. It's been around the block a few times. Now, it comes back to your point about advertising and, and alcohol. So I've got a mentor who does work documentaries for Netflix, and she's fantastic. And so she was shopping around. I've met like different production companies in, in Sydney and otherwise and backers. They all loved it because world, no one's done it. It's the original world first. And the reason came a long way around after she talked to some of these other international companies was, well, the reason no one has done it because it's extremely hard to get advertising for alcohol and booze alcohol. There's a, a wine show and a few bits and bobs, but they, they're the outliers, which is why no one's kind of done it. And in, public, in the public domain here, there's not many TV channels and they don't have a lot of money and so it goes. So what's going to happen now is, um, I haven't gone back to Boring Rule, but I've, I spent the break to recast the vision of the series. So it's really going to be about innovation and creativity in contemporary Australia across a whole range of sectors. Because, uh, you know, we're going through a pretty challenging time. It'd be great to see something that goes, that inspires me, that's amazing. Absolutely. Like, and yes, we'll weave in, you know, craft distilling and the guys who make the stills and the guys who make the barrels and the farmers who grow the grain to make the whiskey. We'll feed in that, we'll weave in those stories as part of the, the wider narrative. And that will mean from a business point of view, um, when we're pitching the series, going, well, because production companies will be, well, who can we align advertise your sponsors or whatever. That'll give them a lot more to hang their coat up, whether it's prime reduction or, or whatever. So that's now uh, about to go off again to do another round of discussions. So reason... Very exciting. It's very exciting. So um, I don't like talking about it too often because I don't want to jinx it, but, you know, I've, I've been enough rooms with enough people to go, this is a fantastic concept. We love it. Um, it's a question of how, not a question of when, touch wood. So the YouTube channel is part of that strategy in terms of practice for me, I think I'm reasonably comfortable on camera, but you can't do an ever enough practice. Um, and also have building up a body of work. So when they're reading the pitch document, they look me up and there's me doing a live cross from Channel 9, there's me doing this and you know that. They go, oh, okay, he's got form. I mean, they, they, the idea is they'd stitch me up with a co-anchor, like a co-compare, like an actress or something like that. I mean, ballpark figures, you're talking me in plus a series, me and a half for a series. Netflix quality. Um, so high production values, but then you could sell that to, um, yeah, for two, it's a tourism angle to it, destination sell angle to it. Played so, on uh, airplanes? Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. So there's a few ways, there's a lot of thoughts gone into this and I've been working on it for quite a few years now. Um, so yeah, the idea, of, I'm the straight guy, so to speak, and then they'd line me up with someone the public would recognise and we'd go around, discover and explore these sort of places. I'm very excited. Thank you. So it's, it is what it is. It's, um, it's frustrating. Um, you think about TV business, quick story, they fall in love with it until they don't. <laughs> and there's a lot of turnover. So you'd spend a whole year building relationships and then you, it goes quiet. And when you go back to talk to them, they've all moved on and you've got to start all over again. So you can understand now why you hear about movies take years and years and years and series take years and years. This is kind of why. Um, anyway, it's happening. So that's kind of the rationale sitting behind that. Excellent. Philip, if people want to get in touch with you and find out more about your amazing story and work that you do and more about the Martini Whisperer and Two Degrees Group, what can they do? Where can they go? So twodegreesgroup.com.au uh, and there's a new little Facebook page up there. So I talk about sustainability issues and innovations. I called it Two Degrees Group way back when we all even thought about climate change. I was a bit you know, ahead of my curve in that sense. So it's all about sustainable solutions and uh, bespoke solutions for people. Uh, and martiniwhisperer.com. And of course, the handle on social media is the Martini Whisperer. I should warn everyone, I'm a bad influence. So you will get thirsty after watching or seeing some of my stuff, just, just so I warn you. It's better than when I watch all the food 
shows on TV at like 11 o'clock at night and I go to bed, I'm absolutely starving. <laughs> Philip Jones from Two Degrees Group and the Alter Ego, the Martini Whisperer. Thanks for coming on the show and sharing your business's journey and marketing experiences. Thank you, Dan. It's been a pleasure. That's a wrap for episode 10. I've been your host, Daniel Loyston, and it's been amazing having you listen to the show. And I trust you enjoyed hearing from Philip Jones from Two Degrees Group and also known as the Martini Whisperer. I think there was lots of great nuggets in there for you. If you'd like to find out more about Philip, then visit twodegreesgroup.com.au or martiniwhisperer.com. Of course, on social media, search for The Martini Whisperer on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. But as always, links to all the socials and websites can be found in the show notes at marketingbuilder.com. And of course, in the show notes, I've embedded Philip's TED Talk for you to enjoy. So be sure to check that out. It's a cracker. Love this episode? Good. Make sure you don't miss the next one and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. I'd also love to hear from you and what marketing you're crushing at the moment, or maybe you're finding something a little bit difficult or tough or you're stuck on, or you've just got a question about marketing. Please let me know. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. Or follow Marketing Builder on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just search for Marketing Builder or use the handle MKTBLD. Until next time, may your marketing be awesome and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of Marketing Builder. This show was developed, hosted, and produced by Daniel Oyston from Content Grasshopper, the creator of Marketing Builder. Marketing Builder is the easy-to-use, step-by-step card-sorting system for cutting through all the marketing fluff out there and to help you build a marketing plan you are actually on board with. For more information, visit marketingbuilder.net or contentgrasshopper.com.au. Thanks for listening.